Shut up and sit down. I got lost. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Just like <laughs> you ever be in the middle of doing something and like totally forget what you're doing. I'm at that point in my life where now I'm like about ten years ago. I got to that point where I could walk into a room and forget why I went into the room. Now I could be like in the room doing the thing and then forget the thing. So, you know, um, they say that's fog. You know, fibro fog. If you have fibromyalgia, I don't know um, if it's that or if I'm just going crazy. Either way, uh, either way. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm losing it. I'm just, I'm, I'm losing it. Anyways, tonight is um, we're going to talking about works in progress and um, what happens when you kind of lose the plot. Talking about because we talked before about rewriting material that you had lost, and so Rogue asked um, what to do if you don't have a major rewrite or what to do with your story if you, you lose it. And you know, honestly, I think one of the pitfalls of um, uh, posting a work in progress online is that you if you lose the plot if if it kind of falls to pieces on you for one reason or another whether it's lack of inspiration or you've written yourself into a hole you weren't prepared for or or whatever um it's really difficult to go back and edit your content wholesale without getting grief for it uh and um even I uh have gotten uh comments in the past some hostile some not when I've changed a single line in a story, people have come back and said, you know what, that's not what that used to say. Really? It's startling. Because the first time it happened, it was um, a reader who was not in any single way hostile, but had thought she had read something in uh, Sentinels of Atlantis, a, a line. And I had changed that line, and maybe she thought she was going crazy, so she emailed me and asked me about it, and I was like, yeah, I changed that. But apparently, I had inadvertently changed this person's favorite line in the whole story. <laughs> so how... <laughs> I couldn't do that again if I tried. <laughs> it was like, okay, I'm, I managed to hit the button right, right there on the spot, right? So it's... It's weird, and um, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It, it was just it, it was difficult to uh, to um, get my head around, and um, huh. Um, sorry. <laughs> Anyways, but uh, what we uh, 
what we deal with as writers in that respect, if you keep your work private, is that no one sees you fall on your face, and no one sees uh, the mistake uh, that that you, that you make that you go back and fix. But when you work um, in public that way, whether it's in rough trade or um, if you're just posting your works in progress, which I honestly don't recommend because it can really mess up your groove and make things difficult for you. Uh, it can it can be difficult. It can be very difficult to to work your way through it and to get uh, where you need to be to continue writing. But what happens when you can't continue writing? And uh, for me, when I hit that point, I had to give myself um, permission to let it go. To, um, to put it aside, to put it down, to put it aware, away somewhere and then go get something else out of my notebook to play with, to work with, um, to write on, to to start, which is how you end up with several hundred works in progress that I'm not remotely ashamed of. I know some people are like, oh, I can only do one project at a time and I need to finish it, and then they spend six months writing nothing because they can't finish the project and they get discouraged and they stop writing altogether and then they blame their muse. Um that wasn't specific. I wasn't talking about anybody specifically um, in that respect. Uh, that is the call-in number. So if um, you're having a difficult time uh, getting online to work, and if you're in the chat room, I just put a phone number in um the call so that you can um, call in. Uh, um, you can use Skype. You can use Google Talk. And I forget what the Skype is. Um, I forget what the Skype is. Uh. If you if you go to the main radio show page, there might be a button for Skype. I don't know if if that still works because there because there used to be a button. Yes, um, if you go to the website um, and you have Skype installed, there is a Skype button that you can click on that will allow you to listen to the podcast through Skype. Um, but you can't hear that because you're not. If you can't hear me. <laughs> Um, uh, so, uh, but for the future reference, those of you who are currently listening over the radio um, or over the podcast page, if you have problems connecting with Blog Talk, you can click the Skype button and it will um, allow you to listen in like you're talking on the phone. Uh, just so you know. Anyways, <clears throat> I have been. Um, I've been working on various projects and I posted a whole bunch of stuff to, well, not a whole bunch of stuff, but I posted, well, you know, I guess it depends on your point of view. There weren't as many um, uh, different offerings for me from um, um, Evil Author Day, but I did post over 100K 
in, in content. And someone um, had emailed me and expressed their disappointment because I didn't post anything for Stargate or Star Trek. Um, and because um, I only posted stuff for um, Harry Potter and The Hobbit. Um, and I did um, – someone had asked me about my, my MCU story that I had written for Rough Trade a couple of years ago, like 2014, um, for Nano. And I never finished it, but I think actually it ends in a pretty decent place, so it, it doesn't feel like you're um, – it didn't stop in the middle of a problem or a middle of action. Um, so the uh, um, the story with your heart on your sleeve is a soulmate story where Tony and Steve – Tony – Stark and Steve, I forgot his name for a second, uh, are soulmates. And Tony's not particularly thrilled at, at first, but but he gets on board. Um, and, you know, Steve's a needy mess. And uh, so they're trying to work their way through it. And um, basically, I just destroyed the MCU timeline for my own benefit. Um and uh but it so so it ends in a in a pretty decent place so um it it's not i'm not leaving you with a cliff um with a cliffhanger or anything uh and um but that's the only offering that's not harry potter or the hobbit and my my other i i have three um one's a harry potter one's an m c u and one is harry potter and the hobbit <laughs> but no no stargate the thing is i don't actually have a lot of incomplete work in Stargate. I never have had a lot of incomplete work in Stargate. I had a few false starts on stories and I have a few things I'm working on, but for the most part when I start a Stargate story, I finish a Stargate story. So I don't really have a lot of Stargate um, lingering in the background. Um, and I only have two Star Trek stories lingering in the background, and I don't really know what to do with them. And I want to do another season of Tangled Destinies, but I don't consider it a work in progress. Um, just like I don't consider Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond a work in progress, or Sentinels of Atlantis a work in progress, because they're all told in episode-slash-novella format. And um, when I post, I post something complete uh in those particular series. But you know, it's um it's interesting my my winding path through fandom and my works from progress and this is how I guess it connects to this podcast because sometimes you have a work in progress that just doesn't work out the way you want it to. Even when you're a plotter, a serious plotter, um it can be um difficult to To reconcile yourself when you when you stumble across a problem or a challenge or a question to your plot to your character development to your world building and and you fumble and it's okay to fumble we all do it I have been writing for um, I hate to even admit this thirty years uh, thirty years this year as a matter of fact and um, we all stumble we all uh, have an idea that, that fizzles and doesn't go anywhere. And the difference between um, a plotter and a panzer in this particular arena is zero. It doesn't matter if you plot it out all the way to the very bloody end or you don't plot at all. If you fizzle, you fizzle. This isn't even a matter of, I think, of process or, or craftability. It's, um, sometimes it just does it work for one reason or another and you're stuck and you don't know what to do with it. And so you have to 
decide for yourself how to deal with that. Um, put it aside. I have a have a writer friend who's a fucking nightmare. Let me tell you, if she stumbles on a project, if she fizzles out on an idea, she will delete it. She will delete it wholesale from her computer and move on. It doesn't matter if she has 5,000 words written or 50,000 words written. I once saw her dump 100K because the idea, the idea fell apart and she couldn't deal with it. And she didn't want to make any changes to what she already wrote. So she deleted the whole damn thing. I had to get myself cheesecake so I could grieve for what she just threw it away. And she didn't even blink. That was her process. That That's how she dealt with it. But, you know, oddly enough, that's how she dealt with a lot of things. If um, you're a terrible friend, um, she doesn't give you a second chance. She just dumps your ass and moves on, you know. Uh, if her boyfriend forgets her birthday or coughs some attitude with her, done, gone, boom. She doesn't tolerate uh, disrespect from anybody or anything, whether it's her craft or her man. She can get a new one. She can start a new book. And I'm like, okay, girl, you do you. I don't know. I don't know if it's healthy or not because um, she uh, she's genuinely comfortable in her life, and she doesn't tolerate toxic anything nothing there she doesn't tolerate any of it um her father uh asked to borrow money from her about 5 years ago and she had the money but he didn't have money because he'd rather smoke and gamble it away smoke whatever and she refused and he got really belligerent with her and um, threatened her and um, broke a window in her door, slamming it when she when he when he was leaving her house. She filed a restraining order and hadn't talked to him since because he's toxic and she's not going to tolerate that. She doesn't tolerate it in any single way. And you know, it's um. It's startling to to encounter somebody like that, but it's also refreshing because this is not a woman who's ever going to set herself on fire to keep anybody warm. Now, she loves her kids. She does well for her kids, but she doesn't tolerate their disrespect. She doesn't tolerate them talking back to her. She expects them to excel. She expects them to be responsible and to take care of their own business. Now, they're adults. They're, um, her, um, her kids are adults at this point. Um, she helped them through college, but she made them get jobs. She doesn't let them bullshit her or lie to her. And, and you know, it's just, it's really, she's a really interesting person, I have to say. Um, and, you know, I said before to somebody recently that I would rather get punched in the face than lied to. Um she'd rather honestly get beaten to death <laughs> than be lied to. I mean, she's just a really absolute zero kind of person. So it's interesting. And she does throw away her, um, she does delete her work if it doesn't work out and she moves on. And um, 
she doesn't have any kind of um the thing is is being a writer and this is gonna sound maybe weird to somebody who's not a writer, but there's a there's a deeply romantic attachment to your work as a writer. She doesn't have that. She's very um um aromantic in her approach, I guess you'd say, um, to writing and um, to her craft. She's very dedicated to her craft and her writing. She's she's a technical writer by trade, trade, but she does publish in in fiction as well. Um, Midlist, like myself, and so she's not, you know, throwing, you know, throwing in, you know, you know, pulling in the big bucks in in that arraign. And it's not really her goal. Um, But uh, that's just how she deals with that. How I deal with it is I have... um, in, I'm, <laughs> this is going to reveal some terrible OCD on my part, but I'm I'm willing to own it. I have my fan fiction and my original fiction separated out by fandom genre. Ever, you know, in my original works, it's always by genre, and sometimes I pen name because I have more than one. Um, and my fan fiction is separated by fandom and also by like uh, trope or genre, depending on how you want to look at it in each one. So if you look into my Harry Potter folder. Um, it would have it, it has several folders: time travel, alternate universe, um, post Hogwarts, uh, war, and uh, there's another one. Hold on. So alternate universe, post Hogwarts. Um, time travel, war stories, and then I have one called a work folder. And I also have one called posted, and that's where I, I move all my posted work into that folder when I'm done with it. Um, but in my work folder are stories and ideas that I've pulled out of my other folders and stuck there because I don't know what to do with them, but I'm not, I'm not prepared to throw them away. I don't throw anything away um, writing-wise because I've had my work taken away from me through technology failure, and so I'm unwilling to part with my words, uh, my word babies. I'm 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 un- I'm unwilling to part with even the ugly ones. <laughs> I keep even the ugly, awkward word babies. <laughs> it's just what I do. <laughs> so I, but you know, I don't have any. Um, a lot of people get really focused on the finished product to their own detriment and honestly to the detriment of their own work because I learn as much from my failures and sometimes more than I do my successes because um, you don't know how to fix something until you've made a mistake and, and created a situation that's monstrous. Um, and once you have... created a shitty situation and you can um, work it out then the next time you're you're writing something you you can work it out you can fix it you can move on you can um, say you know if you if you've made a mistake already you know how to avoid that mistake in the future especially when it comes to writing craft and so um, I learned from my mistakes and um, my failures in writing as much as I do my successes, but you're supposed to, for me, um, I learn with every project, uh, for good or bad. 
and that's super important to you as a writer because you don't want to stagnate. You you don't. Well, I don't want to snag stagnate. Maybe you do. I don't. <laughs> I hope not. I hope you. I hope you're never satisfied. And that's and that sounds terrible. But from a craft perspective, I hope you're never satisfied um, with, with yourself. Because the moment you're satisfied with yourself is the moment you stop learning. You stop growing. You stop, you stop experimenting as a writer. And that's a, that's a death blow to, um, to, um, to your creativity. Uh, the only thing worse, I think, is when a writer stops reading. And the only thing worse than that is a writer who says they hate to read. <laughs> and I have encountered that. I was like, what? <laughs> Stop. <laughs> but, um, you know, honestly, from, from a, from a perspective of, of growth and, um, advancement and just you know mind training. Um, I think you should read if you have two hours to give your craft during the day. You should spend forty five minutes of it reading somebody else. I, you know, I don't think that person is actually a writer. Um, Jeep asked in the chat room, "Why would you write if you don't like reading?" Um, you know, like I talked before on my um, on my journal um, on Dream With about uh, about writers who and there are different kinds of writers, um, and, uh, and I've said it before in the past that um, you that you can't um, that you that that you can't make a writer that you can't teach a writer that that writers are born you can be taught the specifics of craft you can be taught the um the grammar you can be taught um the language you can be taught um the methods but you're either a writer or you're not there really is no in between it's just like you're an artist or you're not I took art class in high school, and I painted several things that were quite lovely, objectively. But I had no investment in any of it. I have no idea where any of it is. But I have notebooks that I wrote in when I was 12 in Ziploc bags for their own safety. In crates. In my closet in my office. I have 30-year-old writing in a Ziploc bag in my crate in, in, in my closet in my office. But I couldn't tell you where a painting I did of an Irish landscape castle um, that I copied from a magazine in art class in high school is. My mom probably knows where it is. In fact, it might be hanging in my sister's house now that I think about it. But I have no, I have zero investment in it because I'm not an artist. I don't care. I don't care where it went. But I would have a full-grown conniption if my notebook in my closet that I haven't touched in 20 years disappeared. <laughs> if it just suddenly disappeared, I would have a full-blown conniption because <laughs> I keep my stuff. 
even terrible, ugly, awkward word babies. Like I said, I keep them. Um, but there are, but there are several breeds of writers out there. Um, there is, um, there is the writer who writes because they can't help themselves, whether they get published or not. And I think that's me. I, I can't help myself. Um, even when I should be doing something else, I'm probably writing. Uh, it's just the way it is. And, um, but there, there are also writers who, who get the idea that they can write for fame and fortune, which is like, honestly, dudes, it's one in a million. It is one in a million. And you never know where the next Harry Potter is going to come from. It's one in a million. And, um, for every very, 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 very successful author out there, there are millions who are not. Um, for every writer who gets published in a New York print house, there are 50,000 who don't. That's just the way it is. And it's not a matter of talent. Um, or originality. Um, God knows it's not originality. Come on now. You, if you look at the current bestseller list, you know it's not originality. <laughs> and in some cases, it's not even talent. But we're not going to go there. Um, it's uh, it's it's a mixture of of um, hook and uh, crook and 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 luck and um, and one day your book gets put on the right person's desk and that person is in just the right mood to read what you wrote. And that's rare that your book ends up in the exact place it needs to be at the right time and the right on the right day with the right person who just had a really great lunch and they really want to read what you wrote. It might even sound like fate, right? But it's super rare. So those people who write for fame and fortune, um, they never get anywhere. Because um, that first refusal, that, that first rejection is destroying. Then they end up self-publishing somewhere and then it's, you know, it is what it is. Then they brag for 10 years about their published book, but it's not really published. <laughs> and I know that's ugly, but part of publication is, um, to me, when there are other people willing to invest themselves in your work, um, both their time and their money, and um, that's an investment. So when someone else invests in your work, that's publication. Self-editing your work and buying a cover and sticking it on Amazon is not publication. It's vanity. If it suits you, fine. If it makes you money, fine. But you can't compare it. You can't compare that process to having your book shift through many hands in a publishing house and it being treated um, with, uh, with respect and eagerness and having your, your editors come back to you and your proofer come back to you and you, you see your proof and you, you get your, your cover in the mail and you're like, yay, look at my cover. And then you get your books in the mail and you're like, yay, 
hey, look at my books. They're so, I'm so excited. That's, that's publication. And that is um, validating on a level that is, is really, really difficult to come by. And when you look at your work in progress, um, it can be devaluing to realize that you've made some mistakes along the way that you can't overcome. But the worst thing you can do to yourself is try to force yourself to overcome them in that moment. It's easier uh, for some people just to let it go and to put it in a folder. You can call it the circular folder. You can call it the junk folder. You can go, oh, my God, what was I thinking folder? Whatever you want to call it. Just make yourself a folder on your computer and say, okay, I'm going to stick this here. I'll come back to it in a year and have a fresh idea and a fresh, a fresh perspective, and I will have learned things. I will have gone out and learned things since I put this aside, and I'll pick it back up and see what's salvageable out of it. Do that. You have give yourself permission to step away from a work. <laughs> Boo mom named hers Tahiti. Okay, that's great. I love it. <laughs> but whatever you whatever you name your folder, have one. And and don't be afraid to stick stuff in there. And even if you put it online and it's a work in progress, stick it in there anyway. Put a note on your um on your thing at the end of a, well, the last chapter and say this 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 thick as having a Mexican siesta <laughs> this fix on vacation whatever you want to call it and you don't owe your reader a, another explanation you don't have to get on your blog and talk about and berate yourself or or prostrate yourself before your is that how you said that prostrate before your readers and, and beg for forgiveness for not completing a work in progress fuck that shit and if they give you too much grief, take that shit offline. Because if they can't be grateful for what you gave them, they don't need any of it. Not one single word. Zero. Because you know, you owe absolutely no one explanations for your fanfic. It's original work. You signed the contract. You owe some people explanations for your work. But when it comes to fan fiction and fandom, you don't owe your readers jack shit. You don't owe them a sequel. You don't owe them an explanation for not finishing a project. If it just doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Move on. Make Tell them to move on. Move the fuck on, motherfucker. Because no, you don't owe them jack shit. Keep that in the back of your mind or write it on a post-it note and stick it on your monitor for all I care. You don't owe them. You can mark it abandoned. You can mark it on a hiatus. You can just, whatever you want to call it, just and move on. You don't owe anybody an explanation. Sometimes even you don't even owe yourself an explanation. If you don't know what's wrong with it, you don't know how to fix it. Well, if you don't know what's wrong with it, you can't fix it, number one. And it's okay to acknowledge that you don't know why it's not working or why it's falling apart or why you're not inspired by it. Stick it in your folder and pick up something new. Give yourself permission to give up on it. And pick up something new. In a year, maybe two, open it back up and see where it goes. If it still goes nowhere, close it. Go back out of the folder and start you a new document. Whatever gets you through your day. But don't punish yourself for a work in progress that's not working. 
don't um, allow anybody else to berate or punish you for something that's not working. You don't owe them anything. You don't owe them your next completed story. You you really don't owe them anything. This is strictly as a writer. As a reader, yes, I get disappointed when something doesn't get completed. But I also understand that it's not mine. It never has been mine, never will be mine. And I don't get to inflict my disappointment on another writer. Unfortunately, there are a lot of readers in fandom who have ze- a lot of readers, period, actually, across the gamut. It doesn't have to be, have anything to do with fandom. Readers in general have an expectation of um, getting what they want. Um, there's an entitlement there. And we'll talk about reader entitlement to we're blue in the face, but we can't actually solve it because, as a whole, we live in a society full of entitlement. Full overwhelmed with it. <sighs> That's just my opinion on that. But I don't have a partner to spar off tonight because I guess they're all out having a life and Azure won't call in. She's not even in the chat room right now. I feel a bit... Oh, there you are. There you are. Someone asked in um, on... Twilight Seeker, are you in the chat room, Twy? Are that you? Is that, that is that you? I don't know if that's you or not. I'm not sure how you come into the chat room. Um, someone asked. Um, I have a uh, um, my work in progress. Um, Small Magic over on EAD. Um, I have renamed the goblins from Earth, and I gave them um a name, and it's Norwegian actually. It's Norwegian for the word dwarf. Um, I don't know actually how it should be pronounced. <laughs> Because I am not Norwegian and I do not speak it. <laughs> I don't speak any form of Norse. Um, but I, you, I pronounce diverger. It's D V E R G E R. I'm pretty convinced, actually, that the D probably should be silent. But I can't make myself make it silent when I say it. So diverger. But it could be verger. I don't know. But I say diverger. That's how I'm going to pronounce it because I made it my own. It's my own word now. Sorry, Norway. <laughs> not really. I'm not really sorry. <laughs> now, there have been times when I have read um, works in progress that I got uh, so fed up with waiting that I just stopped reading. Um and then stumble across it years later, and it's complete. Now I'm like, holy shit, look at this click. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> it's complete. <laughs> now I can go read it, and it's full. <sighs> but I have also done that. I'm going to tell you something. I always go to the last chapter to make sure it's actually complete. It just hasn't been marked complete by the re- the author out of frustration, which I don't blame them at all for that. But um, I don't want to be surprised at the end. I'm just saying. I don't like surprises anyway. I especially like terrible surprises. Dislike terrible. I I dislike terrible surprises. Especially. Especially. But, um... I do think that, on the whole, when you're, um... 
the thing is, is that writing is a very solitary uh, endeavor. And so um, seeking out other people to engage with is just something that I think we naturally do, which is why I think Rough Trade um, does so well. Um, and why people are um, so involved in it is because it's an opportunity to, to be around other writers in a very um, safe environment, and I work hard to make it safe um, because you need that safety net to allow yourself to make mistakes and to grow as a writer and to have that creativity um, because without it, it just... It just, I don't know, I don't know, there's, uh, there's nothing more engaging to me than another writer. And so I'm, I really enjoy Rough Trade for that perspective and, um, and seeing um, all those writers come together and to create something um, interesting and new and um, all that jazz. Uh, but, you know, I have a, I have a really interesting experience um, happening on my website right now. I... I have a new reader. I know they're new because um, over the past month and a half, every day there's been a new like from them on a story that's, I don't know, five, ten years old. Because some of the work on my side is is ten years old because I've been writing since 2008 for fandom. And um, I need to figure out what my anniversary is. It's, it's coming up soon. We should have a party. <laughs> Anyways, um, <laughs> they're liking really old work, work that I haven't, I haven't even read myself in probably four or five years. And so it's really interesting to watch them go through my site, like, 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 comment, like, 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 comment. You know, one comment, comment here or there. It's just been really fun to, um, to watch them. And um, I, I see them edging towards <laughs> ties that bind. And I kind of want to email them and go, dude, be careful. Oh, that's cool. Why do you get one over on the man? <clears throat> but um it's uh the fact is is that being in fandom can be um monumentally demoralizing. I saw somebody on Facebook just yesterday or was it today who deleted all their stuff from AO three because of entitled readers. And um it happens on a regular I've I've seen it happen four or five times in the past month. And I'm like, mm. the thing is, is that, you know, as as much as I like to dismiss um, or want to dismiss uh, hostile readers, the thing is, is that um, your readers impact you for good or bad. Um, and uh, giving them a window, giving them the ability to comment on your work um, opens you up. And you never know when somebody's going to hit you um, in a way you don't expect it, or or just a, a comment that would be that would flow right off your back yesterday is devastating today. You know, so so you never know um, how that's going to hit you and how you're going to respond. Uh, and I like to think of myself as as pretty uh, even killed in that respect because I will delete a negative comment without even thinking about it. Boom, delete, done by. <laughs> don't care I don't care how much you hate it I, I really don't um but then you know there's a 
there's a moment when someone does something. I'm like, I want to reach through my computer screen and punch you in your fat mouth. <laughs> I can't actually do that. Just saying. <laughs> but nobody is immune to this. And so some people um <laughs> Some people like to poke the idiots. Azure likes to poke at them before she deletes their comments. <laughs> I have been known to email people. I, I admit that. <laughs> Someone in the chat room says, I deleted work off AO3 because readers would not leave me alone about updating it, even though I made it clear that I never would because it had been plagiarized and it really messed me up. There's honestly... um Nothing more um, I find offensive than another writer um, taking your work because it's a level of disrespect that's really difficult to come back with. And I don't mean pirating because pirating happens and you just got to move on, push past it, leave it alone, blink away. You know, Because anybody that would steal a book, pirate a book and, and download it off a, a pirate website isn't going to buy your book anyway. So they're not worth your your time. They don't value you. They don't value your work. They don't value the word. So just ignore them. Leave them alone. Fuck off. Right? But when someone plagiarizes your your work, that that's another writer taking your words and make, making them their own without credit. It's um, it's hurtful. And, and demoralizing and upsetting and insulting and um, it's like getting punched in the face and um, I don't blame you at all for, for your stance on that I um, I would scorch the earth over plagiarism <laughs> I have never actually asked a single one of my readers to abuse another person in fandom but I think if someone plagiarized my work that would be my That'd be the hill I die on right there. I'd be like, Minions Ho <laughs> I think I just like aged myself totally. For those of you who get that, I appreciate the hell out of you. And those of you who don't, for fuck's sake, watch the watch the Thundercats. What's wrong with you? Anyway <laughs> But I I it's it is it is violating and, and, and infuriating to have someone but if you're who I think you are and I think you are, um, not only was it plagiarism, but it was disgusting plagiarism. Are you who I think you are? Because I think that you'd been in the chat room before, and we talked about this, and I had inadvertently said your pen name, and I don't want to do that again. Um, Because it isn't my intention to call you out. But to have someone take your work, No, not the same person, but I remember yours too. Um, <clears throat> to take your work, to be completely without shame, to have their readers back them up and say it's perfectly okay for them to steal from you. Although, I have to tell you, I love your work. By the way, I you, I, am, I am totally your fan, um, for reals. I'm, I am your fan. Um, not your only fan, obviously, but I am definitely your fan. Uh, <clears throat> but 
to uh, to have someone just kind of disrespect you that way. It, it is difficult to, and you, you don't have to get over it, and you don't have to move past it, and you can be giving them the double bird ten years from now, and I'll be right beside you giving them the bird too. <laughs> because what the fuck? What the fuck is wrong with a person that? is so willing to steal somebody else's words, claim them for their own, and then have no shame for it. None. No shame. What the fuck is wrong with that person? A lot. <laughs> Do you say trebuchet? Is that, is, is that how you say it? Trebuchet? Is it French? Because that's how I'm pronouncing it. Like it's French, but then I don't know French. <laughs> Okay, trebuchet. But uh, we would definitely need some siege engines. Because what? Because honestly, in fandom, when you encounter somebody plagiarizing plagiarizing you, you really only have one option, and that's public shaming. (laughs) And I am all about it. (laughs) Maybe they weren't hugged enough as a child. Maybe they were raised by wolves. No, because wolves have more honor. Maybe they were raised by, I don't know, some bottom-feeding scavenger. Hyenas? But hyenas are not as bad as the Lion King made them out to be, apparently. <laughs> but you know what it boils down to? And I'll tell you what it boils down to. It, and I talked about this, too. And there is a breed of writer out there um, who's very, very narcissistic. Um, very concerned about um, their hits how many kudos they have, how many comments they have, um, and um, building their audience and, and getting that feedback. And, and I know people are like, bitch, who are you talking to? <laughs> because I have more, had more than one person tell me that I am really supremely vain but I'm not I'm just good the thing is is I don't have to to actively build a, a reader base I never did I used to post to different live unit journals you know communities posted new work but then I stopped doing that because they were assholes and I don't advertise my work anywhere but my own shit my own twitter my own tumblr my own Facebook. But I don't see any reason whatsoever to downplay myself. To pretend I'm less than what I am. To hide my light under a bushel, as Azure would say. Um, did say in the chat room. Um, I don't feel the need to do that. And if you, and I'm not down. I'm not downing anybody who does. I'm, I'm not downing anybody who, who, um, who is genuinely humble about themselves and their work. I just don't have any need to do that. <laughs> I don't. That's just not part of my psychological makeup. I don't. It's just not who I am. But the thing is, is I'm not out there saying I'm the best thing that ever happened to the internet because obviously I'm not. That would be Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> Let's be real. <laughs> I 
More specifically, it would be a, a, a gif of Tom Hiddleston shaking his little ass. That's the best thing that ever happened to the internet. I don't care if you agree <laughs> or disagree. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> but um, it's there's a difference between being proud of yourself and proud of your work, and I am proud of my work. Um, and I'm also super proud of other people's work. Um, the Rise of a Rough Tribe made me so prideful. I'll be like, yes, look how awesome you are. Yay, I'm so excited. But the writers out there who who are militant about their kudos and their comments and who are very self-involved and self-invested. And you can say a lot of things about me, but I, I really hope that self-evolved isn't one of them. Self-involved is not one of them because um, I I glory in the successes of other writers and in, in their craft and um, opening themselves up to new experiences and really getting out there and, and exploring and 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 all that stuff. I, it's awesome. I really appreciate that. I, I love it. Uh, but. Um, there is that bridge of writer who who writes and posts exclusively for attention. They demand it, they expect it, they get irate when they don't get it. They, um, you know, getting a kudo is is thrilling. That's fun. But you're not on your um, AO3 putting a little notes in your author notes saying you're not going to update your fic until you have fifty of them, right? Because if you are, I'm gonna come over your house and whoop your ass. It won't be a pleasant whooping either. Because, <laughs> not that I think you are. I don't think you are at all. But blackmailing your readers for kudos or comments um, is a sign of, um, is it, it's narcissistic. It is completely narcissistic to do something like that. So when you encounter a writer like that, um, Give your screen the burden. Go find somebody else. Somebody who deserves your time and your attention because they don't. They really don't deserve your time or your attention, your hit, your your kudo, your comment. They don't even deserve your trolling. And I I am there with you. I have encountered things on fanfiction.net that have I have come precariously close to trolling people. I don't do it. I haven't done it. I can't say I won't do it in the future because sometimes it is super tempting to tell somebody, hey, would you like to know why you didn't get the 50 comments you needed to finish the story? It's because you're an asshole. And I wouldn't have posted this comment except this is number 39, so you're you're nowhere near your goal. (sighs) Just saying. I haven't done it, but I want to. And there and there may come a time in a moment when I have too much PMS going on and my hormones are crazy because I do have I do have PCOS. And sometimes um, my hormones get the best of me, and it may happen. I'll probably delete it. <laughs> but there's nothing more disgusting to me than than that level of, of well, in fandom. Nothing more disgusting to me in fandom as a writer who who blackmails their readers and their audience for attention and um, praise. I appreciate all the praise I get. I appreciate the comments and the likes and the hits. 
but I don't thrive on them. I don't live for them. I don't write for them. And that's why you're writing. That's that, that's a terrible reason to be writing. It's just terrible. But speaking of readers and and their role in fandom, if you're if you're posting a work in progress, there is every opportunity um, for a reader to to be the reason that your story falls apart. Um, whether it's um, backhanded comments, um, compliments that aren't really compliments at all, not even remotely. I don't... Uh, an ESL. Is that something to do with English not being their first language? English is a second language. That's what I thought. I just, it just wasn't coming to my brain. I mean, I've heard that term before. It just wasn't, it was like lingering in the back of my brain somewhere, not presenting itself as information I could use. Um, the best way to learn any craft is to do that craft. So if you see somebody who's um, not an, a native English speaker in um, on fanfiction.net or on AO3 or wherever they may be, trying to 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 get out there with their words, that isn't an opportunity for you to be an asshole. Well, I declare your actions just, your cause righteous, In the court of Kira, <laughs> you have been cleared of all charges and you are free to go. <laughs> but no, um, so like I said, you know, readers, they can intrude on your process in a very ugly way. Now, sometimes you come across a reader who's awesome and they become um, a, a positive um, influence in your um, in your craft and in your work and even in your life. You, you create a relationship with them. But there is that reader whose apparent only purpose and goal in fandom is to make other people miserable. And it's so the, what it boils down to is um, negative trolling feedback is is selfish. It is selfish and bone deep ugly. It is it is the kind of ugly that if you saw it in person you would walk away as rapidly as you could and maybe you'd even call the cops. You know? Oh, if I only had a real live troll to throw at people. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> if only. I had I had a reader email me about that particular thing, and she she asked me how Hermione um how Hermione got the troll in the bag, and I said, well, what do you think happened first year when no one came to rescue her? <laughs> she kept that troll in the bag for years. 
until he was needed. <laughs> Anyways, um, but surely she fed it. Surely, I mean, it was still alive to to do that to to Umbridge. So, um, she, she was feeding it. But um, it, it just amused me the idea that eleven year old Hermione. <laughs> Or actually, she'd have been twelve at the time. Twelve-year-old Hermione um, uh, put the troll from the bathroom in a in a in, in a bag and, uh, until she needed him. <laughs> I might write that one day because it'd be really amusing. We came to rescue. Where's the troll? <laughs> Don't worry about him. He's fine. <laughs> she got him knocked out in her school bag. <laughs> That'd be a serious confidence boost for her, wouldn't it? <laughs> she knocked a troll out when she was 12 and stuck him in her book bag. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry, that really amused me. Um, anyways, that's, that's a line from Small Magic where Hermione admits to keeping a troll in a, um, in a bag and, uh, until she got mad at Dolores Umbridge and sent the troll to Dolores' house. <laughs> But, anyways, <laughs> we, um, but, um, yeah, you know, so, it might come in handy. You never know what's going to come in handy. You never know. I look forward to your story about, um, him as a pet, Azure. But, um, <clears throat> We, we as writers, uh, I, if you are the kind of person who takes the behavior of trolls and um, takes harsh criticism um, in such a way that it can influence your ability to write, I really, really don't recommend that you post your works in progress online. Because it can be difficult, especially if you're not in a situation like on Rough Trade or Wild Hair where I don't let the trolls actually talk to you. <laughs> because in all honesty, um, during a Rough Trade challenge, I can delete or edit 50 to 100 comments easily, easily that many. Because... People don't understand how the challenge works. They don't agree with the rules. They get mad at me for not being able to copy and paste. They want, they want to know where your website is. They want to know where you're going to continue this. This, 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 blah, blah, blah. Me, 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 me. All about my needs. What, what, what? Why can't I do this? Why can't I tell them they're wrong here? Well, blah, blah, blah. Fuck you. Fuck you so much. Really. But, um... After the fact, after you're finished and you post, and someone says something you don't like, for me, it just kind of rolls off because I'm done. I'm, I've moved on. Fuck you if you don't like it. Not everybody's like that. If that makes you uncomfortable, create a situation for yourself where you don't have to take comments. How do you do that? You take your butt over to WordPress.com. Make yourself a blog. And don't allow comments. 
Don't give them a comment form. Don't allow comments on your posts or your pages. And don't put an email on it. And don't use a name attached to an email known in fandom. That way, all they can do is read, and they have no ability, no avenue to reach you for discussion. If you're a member of Wild Hair and you don't want to be known, we can mark you as anonymous. If you're a member of Wild Hair and you don't want comments, I'll turn comments off your posts as you post them. I don't care to do that at all. It will be fine. I don't give a shit. You don't have to open yourself up to their feedback at all. Now, it's like there's this thing in fandom where writers have to be open and available, right? But you don't have to be. You can have two names in fandom. One you write under that no one knows, except maybe your beta, if you're comfortable with that. And one that you you flit around with and chat and post and comment and just have a good old time on Facebook, whatever you want to do. And then have an ID where you, you, no one knows who you are except people you trust. And no one um, gets your email address for that name. And no one has the ability to comment or offer you any kind of feedback except a like button. Move on. Because you don't owe them interaction. And there's this expectation in fandom that, that fandom writers owe their readers interaction and discussion and conversation and the ability to contact. And that is absolutely 100% not true. You don't owe anybody that kind of access to you. You can allow it or not. It is entirely up to you and no one's opinion but your own on that subject matters. It is that way, Sarah. Sarah says in the chat room, you wouldn't, you wouldn't invite a stranger into your house, so why allow them to dictate or abuse you? I think a lot of times people get so invested in that validation, in the comments, in the kudos, that the idea of cutting that off um, makes it difficult for them. You are more than welcome on Wild Hair. I will go sign you up right now. I told you I'm your fan. <laughs> You're welcome on all my stuff. Because <laughs> I mean that. I'm like a thousand percent your fan. But um, if uh, so, but no, I'm, I won't fangirl on you. I promise too much. Uh, really, I'll stop. Anyways, um. <clears throat> What what it boils down to um, is that you, in fandom, you give uh, as much access as you're comfortable with. And don't let anybody tell you that you owe them anything. You don't owe them anything at all, ever. That's just the way it is. That's what it's always going to be. On Wild Hair, I recently set up a, a different author system, which I think um, allows um, authors who are only posting on on um, Wild Hair a better uh, kind of homepage where they have their own author page and they can do links and if they want to or not, you don't have to put anything in there. Anything in there you don't want to. Um, you can do a bio. You can. Um, link to a fake Facebook if you want, or whatever you want to do. And um, also your posts, a little more neater, I think. I, th I think it's really nice. I really appreciate it. Um, I wish there was a system for archiving that was attached to to, um, to uh, 
WordPress as a plugin, but currently there isn't. Hopefully in the future they'll have one. It'd be really cool. So, but um, I keep up on the technology and keep looking and see see what we can find. But um, Wild Hair uh, is uh, just a safe place I carved out with Jilly to to offer to authors who aren't comfortable on the mainstream fandom sites for one reason or another. And you don't got to be. And you don't have to pretend you're comfortable there if you're not. Uh, it's just the way it is. Now, granted, I get a lot of grief, actually, um, on my uh, my rules for rough trade and my rules for wild hair. Uh, and because there are, and Julie and I have talked about this before, there are readers in fandom whose only contribution to fandom is constructive criticism. And when you don't give them the opportunity to constructively criticize your work, they get bent. They don't even know what to do. They don't they get twisted up and angry and psychotic. <laughs> I don't understand it. I don't feel like, I don't know um, what that is. But I think maybe as somebody who, who is a writer, who is very creative and who has an outlet for that kind of um, um, who does contribute to fandom in a certain way that I have a hard time um, sympathizing with with their plight, so to speak. Um, I'm going to say this too, and it's ugly, but I don't care. The most hostile readers I've encountered in fandom um, when it comes to not wanting their um, feedback or their constructive criticism or their corrections were all men. Every single one of them. Yeah, Brad, I'm talking about you, Brad. I hope you're listening, Brad. Um, who was so put out by the idea that I didn't want his um, less than constructive criticism that he called me an experiment. Which was more startling than offensive. Let me tell you something about constructive criticism. It doesn't exist. Um, criticism isn't in itself a negative act. Therefore, there is nothing constructive in criticism. You can be constructive in other ways, but criticism itself is never constructive. It is always, always a negative act. <clears throat> First time I said that in the podcast, I got like 10 emails from people who, dis- who disagreed with me. If you're still listening, I don't care any more than I did five years ago or, or, or whenever that was. I, don't, I still don't give a shit what you think. That's my constructive criticism to you. <laughs> because it doesn't exist. There's no, there, there's no such thing. You can give somebody constructive feedback. You can give somebody information that they don't have. Um, you can offer corrections on grammar or um, context or e- any other thing. But there is no such thing as constructive criticism. 
In fact, the least constructive thing on earth is probably criticism. Because it is always, always couched in, I'm better than you, and this is what you're doing wrong, and this is how you fix it to make me happy. Now, when I was younger, I fell into that trap of constructive criticism. Uh, I fell into it deep. And it wasn't until I was um, in a writing group (coughs) being led by a popular writer, actually, a best-selling author, um, in uh, in my area. Um, And she... uh, She said the first piece of advice I'll ever give you um, that I ever that I give every single writer I encounter is to never, ever, ever accept constructive criticism. <clears throat> she says because it is demoralizing and ugly, and it's a it's not objective. And I was like, it's not objective. Constructive criticism is not objective. And it was like, (laughs) mind-blowing. And I was like, okay, you're right. It absolutely is not. Because constructive criticism is is, um, very self-oriented to the person giving the constructive criticism. It's not an objective point of view. It's not like an editor or a proofreader. This is not... um, It's just no. It's not, and it was it was mind blowing to get to get that information put in my head, and I was like, oh well, there we go. And then from that point on, I stopped taking what p- other people called constructive criticism because it doesn't exist. It, it's it's not constructive at all. It's you know, when you work as an alpha reader or a beta reader, or recently as I come to find out, is it omega reader? No, uh, it um, it's a different circumstance because what I've learned about this so-called constructive criticism, it is always, almost always offered without your permission. It's intrusive. It is often phrased in such a ver- such a way that it can be considered verbal assault. <laughs> it is meant to be offensive. It is often couched with um, I know better than you attitude on one end and um, do what I say to make me happy on the other. And if, so the thing is, is, if they were genuine in their interest in helping you, when you tell them that you don't want their criticism, their constructive criticism, they wouldn't respond with hostility. And nine nine times out of a hundred, they do respond with hostility. If you reply to them, they're never not hostile. I mean, I've never encountered a reader who offered me constructive criticism that was gracious when I said no, ever. Not in my 30 years have I ever encountered a reader who was gracious about being told no.
And if they were genuinely trying to help you, they would accept, acknowledge, and move on from the fact that you don't want their help. But they don't. So they don't want to help you. They want to intrude on your process and make your work match their needs. And there's absolutely zero constructive about that. Zero. <clears throat> but that's just my opinion. I'm ninety nine percent certain that I'm that I'm right. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm right. <laughs> So I, th I think I'm out of things to talk about in the topic. So somebody asked me a question in the chat room. Because like I said, I don't have anybody to bounce off of right now. There's somebody on my board, but I don't know who they are. Are you in the chat room? The, the person who is on my board listening over the phone? <clears throat> oh, that's you. Do you want to be on the air? Hello. How are you? Uh, freezing. It's snowing up here in New England. Yeah, I, I had looked up your area code when I saw you on the board because I couldn't figure out who you might be. And I was like, well, <laughs> it's cold up there. <laughs> yes, I it is. Have, I have family from there. And um, so uh, I remember being there in July when I was very young, like 13 or 14. And we had snow flurries, like way we were way up there, up near um, the border of yeah, the other place. We, we, oh, <laughs> Canada, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm eight hours from Quebec. Oh, my uh, my family is like twenty minutes. <laughs> yeah, I'm about two thirds of the way up New Hampshire. Yeah. Your accent's amazing. <laughs> you know, I was thinking your accent is amazing. <laughs> well, you know what they say up here? You park your car in Harvard Yard. <laughs> when I first went up there when I was very young, um, people would stop would stop me and ask me to say stuff just so they could hear me talk. When I lived in North Carolina, they used to say, can you say quarter pounder? <laughs> I love it. Say it again. That's awesome. <laughs> I I worked for McDonald's at the time, and I'm like, I need a quarter pounder. And they're like, I didn't hear you. That's not even a real language. <laughs> it sounds great, though. It's awesome to be um, to be exposed to, to different accents and living in the same country. <laughs> oh yeah, it's, I love listening to you though because your accent is. So relaxing. My cats love it. Although one of them is now checking the phone because I'm talking to it. That is hilarious because you're not the first person to say that. There's like a whole group of people I, who who put my podcast on for their cat. Yep, both of mine but, like you. Yeah. <laughs> so how long have you been writing? 
Um, I've been writing off and on, let's see, 26 years. Wow. So we're, so we're, we're pretty close on that anniversary. Yeah, I started at 17. Yeah, I was in my teens. Um, what would you say is the best thing you learned? What's your best lesson as a writer? Um, beta. Beta. <laughs> I didn't even know what a beta was. <laughs> I grew up with French as a second language. And I have beta to four different French authors who write in English. Mm-hmm. If you want to learn grammar, beta for someone who writes who is from a different language. <laughs> you don't really have a choice, do you? <laughs> Somebody has to know the rules of English grammar. Mm. Because especially What's your French, favorite? there is no world. Yeah, there is a big difference. Um, I have some French-Canadian family, and um, the syntax and the um, the arrangement, the sentence arrangement, is, is very different. I went to a French Catholic school. Yeah, I went to a French Catholic school up here, and I was 10 before I realized that throw me down the stair in my shoe was not correct English. (laughs) Bless your heart. That would be terrible. (laughs) My father's first language is French, and his second language is, um, is English, of course. And, uh, so it's really interesting about people who are multilingual like this is that um, he dreams in French. I yell at my son in French. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I get mad and he really well, upsets it's me. It's French. It's beautiful, though. So it's, it's less harsh. <laughs> it's less harsh. <laughs> but um, At least it's not uh, German. He also talks in his sleep in French, which can be really annoying <laughs> if you're camping or <laughs> or whatever. Like, come on now. If you're, gonna talk, if you're gonna talk in your sleep, I'd like to be able to at least understand it. <laughs> True. I'm the only one of my cousins, there's thirty seven of us who speaks French. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when the aunts get together, I'm the only one who knows what they're gossiping about. Do they often forget you're the one that speaks it? Yes. Then you learn all the family secrets that way. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's always great when an adult forgets you in the room, like when you're a little kid. When I was a little kid, my grandmother had a um, quilting frame um, attached to the ceiling in her living room. And that quilting frame is currently attached to my Aunt Busybody's um, uh, ceiling. And um, she would roll it down. And we would, my aunts would form a group around it in chairs, and they would quilt on this frame. Um, and it would be rolled back up. When I was five, six years old, I would crawl under it while they were quilting to watch the needles coming up in and out of the quilt. It was very cool. Um, and they would forget that I was there, and I learned all kinds of things <laughs> that I had no business knowing about my family. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's nice being the secret keeper. <laughs> and I definitely turned into it over the years. And like my mom would be like, I don't remember what that was. I do. And I'd be telling her, she said, how do you know that? I was laying under the quilt. <laughs> I learned plenty of things laying under the quilt. 
Now, I have a quilting frame, but it's PVC, and it tilts up, and I can use it in a chair, and it's got a floor base. But I have really fond memories of that ceiling um, quilting frame that my that my grandmother had. My grandfather made it and um, put it on the ceiling, and it, was just, it would roll down with ropes. It was very cool, very cool. And she quilted um, hundreds of quilts like that when I was little. That is awesome. My grandmother used to have a loom in her living room. Mm-hmm. And all the aunts would come over and they'd be using it and they would be yelling at each other in French and the grandkids running around. And nobody knew what they were saying except me. <laughs> you knew all the secrets, learned all the skeletons. You know where everything oh, buried. Yeah. Oh, four generations worth. <laughs> it's really awesome to have um, multi-generational uh events like that in households because you, because you learn things and about your family um, that you wouldn't learn otherwise. Oh yeah. That, that don't get passed down for various reasons up into including embarrassment <laughs> and you know, <laughs> everything. <laughs> yep. Like I know my Pepe who died when I was 10 had a 27 year old wife and a newborn son six months after his funeral. Wow. That nobody talks about. He was 95. Wow. <laughs> you know what's really interesting about uh, living up north that I did not know until I was, uh, you know, um, in the south, um, basements are kind of rare. Now, I have a half basement in my house, but I live kind of on a hill. But basements themselves are kind of rare. Um, and up north, it seems to be more the norm than the not to have a basement space. We have a lot of attic space in the South. Um, what's really interesting is that my grandmother had cold storage underground. She had a um, small um, locker, I guess you would say, under her kitchen. And it was just ground storage. She kept all kinds of things down there, vegetables and stuff, that was cold naturally because it was in the ground. And it had, I was like, what is this? <laughs> I've never seen anything like that in my life. I was startled. I was like, "Why do you have this? What is this?" But it was cold year round because it was deep in the it was deep enough in the ground that the heat from the house didn't impact it. And I was like, "I told my mama, I said, Mom, Dana's got potatoes in a basket down in the dirt.'" <laughs> I was I was eight or nine, so she had to come investigate. Yeah, a root cellar. Yeah. Yeah, she had a root cellar. I had never seen anything like that in my life. I was stunned. I was like eight years old. I had never seen a root cellar in my life. My brother has a 100-year-old farmhouse, and his basement is river rock and dirt. I bet that's really cool. Yeah, he doesn't even have a poured foundation. She didn't either. Yes, but you don't get frost heat. What's that? Um, that's when the ground thaws and freezes real fast. So we mm-hmm. get what they call frost heaps where you'll be driving the road, and you'll have a section of road that's, oh, 10, 12, 20 inches shorter than the other side, than the space right before it. So your car will go boom, or it goes in the air because you're going too fast and you fly over the lower part. Uh-huh. It's because we it actually sank. Have, well, how, well, how does that happen? Because oh. it, it's so cold, the ground freezes, and then it thaws, uh-huh. and then it refreezes. 
really fast. Wow. I have a friend who lives in Canada, and she um, she told me she had to go get her tires changed. I was like, what are you talking about? And she has, like, tires for her car specifically for winter. And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, they have metal studs in them so you can grip the ice. I had no idea. Why do you people live in such cold places? <laughs> Come south. I have, it's warm I down have here. Chains, we have beer. <laughs> I have chains and kitty litter in my car, so in case I go off the road, I can throw uh-huh. kitty litter down for traction, and I have chains to get, chains to pull me off to um so it got, so that um if I get stuck in a snowbank, someone can hook it up to my bumper and pull me out. My friend lives in Quebec, and she talked about getting her tires changed. And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You need to explain yourself. And she saw she did. And I said, well, what are chains for? She says, oh, no, honey, I'm beyond, I'm beyond chains on my tires. <laughs> well, you can throw chains on to get traction on the ice. Or like I do, I carry chains because I have a hook under my car on the front mm-hmm. and back bumper. So that if I get stuck in a snowbank and some guy comes by with a truck, he can hook it up to his bumper with the chain and pull me out. <laughs> it's like you're living on it's a different cheaper planet. cheaper than AAA. <laughs> I bet it is cheaper than AAA. <laughs> it's like, what? You know, we we had snow for two days. How much everything shut down. Get? I don't know, four or five inches. The school's closed. The road's closed. Couldn't go nowhere. <laughs> Oh my god! But I have milk and bread. Don't worry about me. <laughs> Last time we got snow, this is nothing. This will be gone tomorrow. The six inches we're getting tonight. Last time we got snow that lasted, we got twenty-seven inches overnight. So almost two and a half feet. I'm only five three. I'm five. I'm five five. I'm not much taller. You've got you've got snow as tall, half as tall as I am at your house. It's craziness. <laughs> but no, I mean the first time, um, we we actually have more problems with ice than we do snow. And um, but the problem really isn't the ice or the snow. It's that because of the area that I live in, we're just not prepared on a governmental level to deal with it we don't have plows we might have one salt truck one because it isn't something we have to deal with or fund and people talk about the south being not prepared for we we are literally not prepared for for when it happens we have no recourse we don't have snow plows we might have one salt truck we rarely ever have a stockpile of salt i remember going to ohio and my friend was with me and um I asked her, there was these big things on the side of the road, and I'm like, what? what is that? What is that big thing there? And she told me it was a salt pile. I was yep. like, why the hell do you have a pile of salt? <laughs> what the fuck is that for? And she's like, it's to salt the roads. I said, are you serious? <laughs> oh, yeah. We, um, we actually pre-treat our roads up here. They spray salt water mm-hmm. on them the day before a snowstorm so it doesn't freeze. It's like a foreign world. It's like it's a, it's another planet over there. We're definitely different. <laughs> it's amazing how human beings adapt um, and force Mother Nature to allow us to live in places we probably shouldn't. 
This is nothing. New England's nothing. I. Well, where I am, it's nothing. I'd rather be here than on the coast in Maine. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, people talk about cold and and wet heat, but a wet cold <laughs> that gets right down into your bones <laughs> when the air is damp and it's cold. Oh. You'd be cold all the way to your brain matter. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> Give you get it to up. the point where it gets so cold, no longer damp. What is I mean, it It was 43 degrees out today, so it was shorts weather. <laughs> uh, Did you hear her? It's shorts weather. If 43 degrees was snow, I'd be in a parka. <laughs> oh, no. I had, um, I had shorts and burks on today because the snow's gone until tonight. But um, it was uh, 43 degrees out, and day before yesterday, day before today, it was 55. We turned off the heat and opened the windows. I had a fan go, and it was too hot. <laughs> I was at the grocery store week before last, and it was, like, in the 30s here. And um, there was this man with me in the vegetables, and he was in shorts. And I was looking at him, <laughs> Finally, I said, you're not from around here, are you? <laughs> and he just grinned at me. He said, I'm from New York. I was like, it's showing. <laughs> He's wearing shorts in 35-degree weather. Because <laughs> for him, he was comfortable. It wasn't hot. I mean, it wasn't cold enough for him to have any kind of winter gear on. I've shoveled three feet of snow in shorts before, so I can't <sighs> say much. You crazy-ass people. <laughs> So what know, do you we, we hit negative we hit negative twenty back into three days straight. I mm-hmm. think I broke out my winter coat for one of those. Yeah, it's still in my car from then. I gotta bring that in sooner or later. <laughs> you probably wanna bring that in. You might need it. Or maybe not. I don't nah. know. We're supposed to hit seventy Wednesday, we'll be fine. We're in the sixties now. Um so I'm really. I like to. I would like to live year round somewhere where it's around sixty-eight. That'd be great. No, I like the snow. No, 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 no. So, what fandoms do you write for? Um, I write in. Let's see, Harry Potter. Mhm. I write in Star Trek. Mostly Voyager, which I know some people hate, but I like. My mom loved the hell out of Voyager. She loved the hell out of it. It's her favorite Star Trek. It's not my favorite, but I do enjoy some of the man candy in it. <laughs> and then I um, am going with an idea for Sherlock, but I haven't decided on it yet. <laughs> but I write mostly Harry Potter. Are you going to be um, in the April... Uh challenge thinking about it i'm working out some kinks on two stories one is a harry potter raised by his grandparents Mm -hmm. and the other is my weasley twins run off to the malfoys i remember hearing about that in the chat room i think yep i'd be be hard pressed 
I'd be hard pressed to pick one because they both sound awesome. I would like. I have never actually seen Harry Potter raised by his um, grandparents. Either set. No, they're usually dead. Yeah. Which I think is a crying shame because you know. Well, they're dead in canon. They're pretty. Well, I don't care about canon. Uh, who does? <laughs> but there was a weird ass question about that. I can't talk about it. That'd be that'd be <laughs> too close to pointing fingers at people. Um. Anyways, I just don't understand why you'd want to write canon. I don't either. I mean, I've seen. Some I can read good... canon if I want canon. Yeah, I've seen twists on canon where they've kind of, mostly in um. Star Trek where they reverse the roles of canon and then explore how it tw- um, spins out from there. Mm-hmm. Which I think is... Oh, I love Trinity, Star Trek. But... I was thinking about doing a Star Trek challenge for July. Cause we've, we've never actually had a full-on Star Trek challenge, I don't think. That'd be kind of fun. It would be Of fun. course, I think um, we're also... We probably need a another little black dress, so I don't know, I'm thinking about it, but we've never actually done a Star Trek challenge, so it'd be really interesting, um, I don't know what the participation would be like, because the thing about having a, a themed challenge often is that, um, I end up excluding people who would like to participate in Rift Trade because, um, because they're not on board with the theme, and I picked Harry Potter for April because almost every writer who almost not all, but almost all the writers who regularly participate in Rough Trade have done some form of Harry Potter, or at least flirted with it. So, well, Harry Potter um, is just begging for it. <laughs> it's a unifying. It's, a, it's the unicorn fandom, Harry Potter. Um, I'm thinking about actually working on my, my Pocket Guardian story for Rough Trade for April. So that would be um, cool. But, but, because you can do a work in progress, you guys, as long as you can add 30K to it by the end of the month. Um, I'm not going to pick my story from your stories. I'm, I'm not going to pick the one I would prefer to read. But I think either one would be really fun because I've never seen either one in fandom. And it would be really interesting to see how that would go, how the how the Weasley twins would end up, um, what the process would be for them to disown their own family. And how old they would be, and and what their rights would be as magical children. So that'd be really curious to to to, to delve into, so I can kind of see your interest. Yes, hence why I'm now stuck in researching Victorian England. Mm-hmm. Oh because yeah, yeah, yeah. They kind of stagnated, didn't they? Yeah, they did, and it used to have stopped right about the time of Victorian England. Although, the biggest thing with the Weasleys is that I had to get rid of Bill. Because oh. if, if Bill was around, he, the they twins would, would have never left. Exactly. And yes. So, did you, like, not have Bill born, or did you have Bill killed? Oh, no, Bill's a Pruitt. Oh, well, see, you didn't really get rid of him. You just changed the circumstances. <laughs> well, he's no longer in the household, which makes things a lot different. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you can always do magical denouncement. 
if, because the thing is, is you can root yourself in Victorian England, but because there's magical circumstances, you can tweak that anyhow you want to, and author hand wave it away um, based on magical society. Good point. Because the whole premise I had for the whole Weasley twins running away ran into a very big problem. Pruitts are related to the Blacks who are related to the Malfoys. So you well, have to isn't the Malfoy relation do. only by marriage? It is. However, you have to look at it in terms of social standing. Which ones are the Blacks going to stand with? The higher-ranked Malfoys or the crappy blood relation Pruitts? And for them, the Weasleys. Well, based on social politics of the time period they would be running away in, the Weasleys are considered blood traitors. Correct. But the Pruitts aren't, even though Gates... See, that's um, that's so thorny. I love it. (laughs) Because the Pruitts are one of the sacred 28, which the Weasleys are not. Oh, right. But all of Molly's children would be considered because she's a Pruitt. They could be. But it also becomes an issue of whether or not um, the Pruitt family would want to claim the twins. Exactly. Curious. Curious. And how much say the twins would have in their own circumstances? I think they would because. Well, they've they've already left their family, so they have a lot of say. Yeah, that's the I mean, premise. They're, they're running away in their twins, which you know, in the world of an Aaron affair, twins are very rare. It's a really fascinating idea, you know, family politics. You got you got family politics, social politics, blood politics. I mean, if you add things like family magic and the like, it's just that's just a really thorny, awesome, plotty thing to play with. Yes, and I have a feeling that 30,000 words is only going to be the beginning. <laughs> I envy you your idea. That's really fun. It is It is growing quite bigger than I thought it was going to be when I first thought of it, because I first thought of this cute little story where the twins were just like, we're running away from home. And then I thought about how that actually would work. And now I'm studying social relationships of Victorian England. <laughs> that that that's how it always goes that that spiral into research, but it's fun though because you can um like I said you can you can inject um magical politics to it and magical relations and family magic in such a way that you can bend it to your will. Yes, or I could just say heck with all of that and turn it into one huge crack fest because it is the Weasley twins. Right, <laughs> but. It, it, it does amuse me, the idea of Lucius coming home, and instead of having one child, he's got three, and Lucius like, <laughs> Narcissus, look, these are your new sons, Fred and George. <laughs> yep. And then Lucius has to weigh it. Do I want to argue with my wife? Or do I want to let my wife have her way? What makes for a happier household? A happy wife is a happy house. 
<laughs> you can like just ain't going through his head. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> Which one of her crazy cousins will come after me if I tell her no? Which one of her crazy cousins will come after me if I tell her yes? <laughs> And then there's that realization when he realizes he really doesn't get a choice anyway. <laughs> yeah. And then, it was never his choice to make. <laughs> no, because it, technically speaking, blacks are the higher ranked family. Yeah. Yeah. So she pretty much controls the house. <laughs> That's a lot of Which fun. Which really makes me want to marry Sue the hell out of her. Just because people are like, no, Mary Sue. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Mary Sue it all up. Make it her middle name. Make her middle name, Mary. Narcissa Mary Malfoy. (laughs) What can't she do? She She can can do do whatever the hell she wants. wants. It's a lot of fun. I think Narcissa is a lot of untapped potential as a character. You can have a lot of fun with her. Yeah, well, we already... Canon has proven she'd do anything for Draco. So what if you give her two more children to protect? Especially two who want to destroy the world. Because <laughs> you We're know fun. Fred and George's world watch shit burn. <laughs> That's practically canon right there. They just do it to watch it burn. <laughs> just want to see the world on fire. <laughs> you know. And part of me really wants to have one of them say, I did it for the vine. When she asks them what they were thinking. <sighs> That'd be really fun. Because that would be but your other idea. Harry coming to Hogwarts, being raised by his grandparents. Um which grandparents? Paternal or maternal? Paternal. That's um that's Potter. a different ball game altogether. That's a Harry that comes into Hogwarts. Um much like his father. Very sure of his place. Um raised in a in a good magical house. He's he'd be confident. But he but he wouldn't be spoiled. Well, James was. James was yes, rotten. but after burying your son at 21, would you really spoil his son the same way? I think you'd spoil him differently. I think they'd be overprotective. I think his grandmother will be. I don't think his grandfather would. Well, he'd have to be raising an heir, depending on if whether or not you make them um, nobility or not. I mean, either way, oh. he's raising an heir. You know, but exactly. if he's a noble heir. It's a it's another matter altogether. He's he um, he's raising the person who's going to take his place, you know. Because when when James was alive, it might have been James or it might have been James's son, but with just Harry, the old man's going to know that th- this is his shot. This is this is what he's got. This is his heir. Exactly. And who thinks? Yes, but if Charlotte, if because I'm going to use Charles because I cannot stand the names that she gave. I just can't take those names seriously. Um, What makes you think Charles would let Snape stay in Hogwarts? Right? I wouldn't. 
if I was a just, parent or a grandparent, um, Severus Snape would teach my child exactly one hour that I knew about. If if I didn't already know what he was, the first time my kid wrote home and told me that he had been insulted and verbally assaulted by a teacher, that teacher would not have a job. And Rogue, Dumbles doesn't need to be happy because Charles knows who set his son up to die. You could even have a campaign against Dumbledore that whole time. Which would be a lot of fun. Operation Make Dumbles Mad. (laughs) Or Deeply Unhappy. Ruin his life. (laughs) Give that to his wife. Honey... (laughs) How would you like to make Albus Dumbledore miserable for the rest of his life? Yes. <laughs> yes, I would. Exactly. And his wife is a black. Yeah, she's a black. That's Doria, Doria right? That's um Yeah. In most of yeah. my fic I have her be um an aunt and um I made my own grandparents where Christopher and Charles are brothers. So Charles um, is the brother, the older brother most of the time in my fic. So I couldn't deal with her names either. I couldn't reconcile. <laughs> I just Fleamont, you seen that? <coughs> Fleamont, no. I, I just can't deal with Fleamont. No, I can't either. Plus, I like the fact When I saw it, I thought, she is fucking with fandom. <laughs> She did that just to fuck with us. I don't believe for a minute she didn't. Exactly. Sirius made James, I mean, made Harry his heir also. So Doria would be all over raising the heir of both Potter and Black. Right. And keeping him away from the rest of the family and Dumbledore. Dumbledore might not even survive the custody discussion because you know what he would try to do oh he'd try to take him oh (laughs) I'm looking forward to this too (laughs) I'm I'm excited (sighs) yes this is this is the I have a beautiful scene in my head for this I have to ignore the chat because they're asking some questions that will make people upset if I answer. (laughs) Don't ask questions. She's not doing a plot drift. (laughs) It's okay. But, no, there's one big change in this one I'm doing, and that is family magic is going to be sentient. I love sentient family magic. It's it's always so much fun. I had a whole lot of fun with Isidore in Pocket Guardian. She's the avatar of the Potter magic. I love it. It's well, so much I fun. I read a speech, uh, Harry Potter fic years ago where um, Harry was like uber powerful and all of the families had um, family yeah. totem. I have read that fic, too. Do you know what it is? Because I want to read it again so bad I can taste it, and I, I can't find it. Same, because I want to credit them, because that is the that was the input. That and your comment about never seeing him raised by grandparents were, like, the, break, the storm that got me going on this. Because the whole thing is Neville and Harry walked into the Wismagog, and somebody sh- fired a shot at them, 
and Harry had a griffin in front of him, and Neville had a big bear. And that's like yes. stuck in my head. That totem fic. I loved that fic. And Harry sends the totems to rescue Sirius. Right, and Harry could control all of them. They all, they all, yeah. And everybody's like, why the hell is your kid able to control? He even did it in the womb. Yep. He controlled That was the first the time he did it. That's when he saved Sirius. He was in the womb. And he does it later. Willow is looking. Willow the Thick Ninja is looking. Yes, because I because that is part of the inspiration for the story, so I need to be able to credit it when I'm ready to post it. Is that really the Marauder's plan? Because I totally overlooked that. I am so mad at myself. <laughs> so am <laughs> I, I now. That it... See? I'm clicking that yeah. shit. No. I thought Marauder's Plan was the one where, I don't think this is it. Is there a flashback where, um, because there's a scene. Oh, yes, yes, yes. On Marauder's Plan by Cats Are Cool. Is it really? For those of you on the podcast. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. Because they, they, they do a flashback where they're all in this special kind of war room at the at the mystery. Yeah. And Lily is there and she's pregnant with Harry and Harry in the womb calls the totem. That's right. For the Potter family magic. And he rescues Sirius. Yep. Now I'm gonna have to read this one again. But it was like a super secret. They didn't want to tell anybody about it. Um, but then it but it happens again when he's older. Mm-hmm. And all of it comes out. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's it's excellent. I, I highly recommend it. It's super ass long, though. It is, um, <laughs> it is 890,000 like words. You don't want to start it right now. <laughs> Maybe tomorrow. Dude. Don't be tempted. It's almost a million words. But it is complete. But it's 893,000 yes. words. It is on AO3 and on fanfiction.net. Excellent story. Um, but, the, but the totems are really interesting. Um, but the totems aren't avatars. They're like... Um, they're more like guardians, aren't they? They're kind of like... Uh, they don't speak or interact. Well, they interact because no. they kill people. Um, right. But they're not... But- um, the magic itself is sentient, and the turtles are a representation of the magic, but they're not actually characters in her story. But it's still really interesting and, and fun. I highly recommend right. it. Right. And I want to take them a little bit further, not quite into, you know, like, familiar-type energies, but a little bit more than reactive in the way they now, I did proactive yeah. with po- the pocket guardian. Um, but she's a character. She's interactive. She is actually known to many people. Many people have known her and interacted with her. She's about 500 years old. She's not necessarily a secret, but um, she's known of, and she is very aware of who everybody else is. 
um, in a way that none of them are prepared for. Because she's been living in the bank for 500 years. True. And people only see her when she wants to be seen. And um, Isadora isn't like anything they're prepared for. But when I was constructing her, um, I did think about those um, totems in that story, and I couldn't remember it. But now I have it, so I thank you very much for that, all of you guys. Um, but uh, it was um, – I didn't – I also I was thinking about demons in the Golden yep. Compass, and um, but then I also think about spirit animals that I use in the Sentinel, and I, none of them really fit. Not the totems, not the demons, not the spirit animals. The demons were closer, but the demons can't separate from their person. So that didn't work either, you know. Correct. I'm so not sure what how you deep do I want to go into them yet. Then again, I'm 20,000 words into this one, and I have barely hit six plot points of my prologue. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> your, 20, your, your prologue's 20K. <laughs> You're so silly. That's chapter two, three, and four. <laughs> I've only hit six out of seven plot points. I see, that's the thing about Harry Potter that I always complain about is that you can't write short in Harry Potter. It is really hard to write short in Harry Potter. I did make Harry a Ravenclaw because I've never done it before. I was tempted to make him a Slytherin, but then, like, he told the hat, Isidore would probably kill them all. (laughs) It just would not be good because I had to account for her as well. The thing is, is if Isidore had been in the Gryffindor... um, dorm, Ron Weasley wouldn't have survived the night. I was going to say she would have killed all of them. Well, Neville would have made it out. (laughs) True. The others are stuck in the set. So I had to create a situation where I could put them somewhere different, and I almost considered Hufflepuff, but I didn't think Hufflepuff would be a good fit for Hermione, who is canon, who is in a, from a canon perspective, kind of self-involved. Even you know when she's very young, she's she's very self-involved. And I thought, no, that won't work. <laughs> so really, Ravenclaw became the choice because of Isidore and Hermione, not so much because of Harry. <laughs> but I think, you I know, think even my... in canon, Ron destroyed Harry's curiosity. Oh yeah. I actually have a fic where Harry gets sorted into Hufflepuff after the Chamber of Secrets. Harry would make an awesome Hufflepuff. And then Hermione goes because she's in protest, and then Neville goes because he doesn't want to sleep in the same room with Ron anymore. And then Luna goes because she's decided that all the Ravenclaws are assholes, and if these three can get resorted, she doesn't know why she can't get resorted either. Exactly. So they all four end up in Hufflepuff. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> I really amuse myself. <laughs> also, that was another fact that Peter Pettigrew, Isidore will know what Peter is the moment she sets eyes on him. Mm-hmm. And I knew that. There, there's no way she wouldn't know. It wouldn't make. It would be a plot hole if she didn't know what he was. And even who he was, considering the fact that she was connected to James through the air ring. 
that I, I set that up already. So there's no way that Isidore won't recognize Peter for what he is and who he is the moment she sees him. So I had to separate her from from them if I had any kind of plot for the future. Your sentient magic would probably work the same way. If the sentient magic is really deeply invested in Harry, um, the moment he comes into contact with Peter Pettigrew, depending on how you have the magic work. Yeah. I'm trying to decide if Pettigrew is going to survive the attack on James and Lily. Well, if he doesn't, then it creates a situation where you can... um, Sirius never goes to Azkaban. Mm-hmm. Because the proof is right there. Part of me wants to let Sirius have that little moment of revenge right at the scene of the attack. But then that puts him in Azkaban. <laughs> You're going to leave him in prison, aren't you? You cruel person. You're so evil. <laughs> I can I can hear it I can hear it in the things you're not saying. <laughs> That's okay. Okay, we got He's ninety not seconds to, left. I swear, I swear, right now, Sirius Black will not spend a day in Azkaban. Okay, I appreciate you. I'm not going to speculate about what you're actually going to do to him then. Okay. <laughs> I'm delicate though. But no, I'm just kidding. The, that's the thing right there is that you um, can't let anybody um, influence you and your plot and where you're going to go with it. Because when you give somebody a window into your um, craft, um, they can um, they can really fuck you up. So um, know where you're going to know where you're going and how you're going to get there before you ever let anybody else in. Uh oh, we're ruining our fun. <laughs> we're down to 40 seconds actually so you guys have a great week and I want to thank Boo for being on the air with me I really appreciate it no problem. you guys have a good night you too Thank you.